Chapter Thirteen of The Flying Stingaree by Harold Goodwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Roy. Chapter Thirteen: The Night Watchers. Scotty, who had realized they were being shot at, was pulling at Rick's arm in frantic jerks, trying to lead him back into deeper water. Rick needed no urging. His fins thrashed in the shallows as he drove desperately for the safety of the deepest part of the cove, his hands keeping contact with the bottom. The increased pressure on his eardrums told him they had reached the sanctuary of deeper water where the velocity of bullets would be absorbed before they could strike. He was bewildered. What had happened? Who was shooting? For a moment, it crossed his mind that Orville might be doing the shooting, but he dismissed it. He had no proof that the crapper hadn't suddenly turned on them, he just didn't believe it yesterday scotty had seen watchers on the shore presumably from calvert's favorite apparently the watchers were there now the boys had gone into shallow water and their tanks had shown above the surface drawing fire it was the only reasonable explanation probably the night watchers had seen the pole handed up to orville or had seen the faint light reflecting from their masts what had happened to orville one thing was certain, they couldn't stay on the bottom indefinitely. Rick consulted his wrist compass and closed his fingers on Scotty's shoulder. He led the way toward the mouth of the cove. Somewhere on the shore, he thought, the night gunmen were watching the line of bubbles. The boys' only hope of escaping detection had been to avoid drawing attention to themselves. Rick knew that was impossible with watchers on the shore watchers at four in the morning was one thing he hadn't expected what had drawn them suddenly he knew while he steve and scotty had examined the mansion through glasses from orville's boat merlin and company or a single guard had been watching them they had drawn attention not only to orville but to the time of day when the guards would need to be especially alert Bubbles would attract the guards' attention, not only because they foamed on the surface, but because they would leave a glow of phosphorescence. How far would bubbles and glow be visible? He had a mental image of the watchers following the shoreline. They couldn't cross the creek or its mouth to where Steve's runabout was stowed, but they could shoot that far if they could see the bubbles. The only way for Scotty and him to escape was to eliminate the bubble trap that meant not breathing not breathing was possible for a short time during the interval they could swim into the marsh grass and use it for cover rick's thoughts raced he tried to recall the shoreline there must be some promontory some outcropping of grass behind which they could hide perhaps the best way was simply to swim directly out from the creek mouth until distance hid the bubbles and darkness shrouded two black-covered heads there was a problem though scotty's air tank hadn't been used until now rick's had during the initial search yesterday he estimated quickly less air is used at shallow depths than at deeper depths the water depth for most of the way was shallow enough so that tank time was essentially the same as swimming on the surface he had had at least forty-five minutes of air to begin with and it might be stretched to fifty minutes he probably had used no more than forty minutes of air total 
but the remaining ten minutes would not take them out into really deep water in the river itself and then back to shore there was not enough air to take them to steve's place he had to make up his mind scotty undoubtedly was doing some fast thinking along the same lines their thoughts usually followed the same track in such situations rick touched scotty's side and forged ahead heading straight out he counted his kicks estimating distance covered when he reached a count of three hundred he angled right toward the north shore of the little chop tank they were well out of the creek now when the water shoaled he found scotty again and pressed him down then very gingerly he put his head above water half expecting to feel the shock of a bullet there was a fallen tree nearby he submerged again touched scotty and led the way to its shelter a cautious survey told him they were some distance from the creek mouth and certainly invisible behind the waterlogged trunk and its load of leaves and other debris he put his lips to scotty's ear wonder what happened to orville we've got to find out scotty whispered back yes but how we go overland of course they were on the same side as the boat and not far away there was the stretch of marsh between the channel and the creek they could cross that and overlook the creek let's go rick whispered they inched their way along the fallen tree to the bank and crawled slowly into the shelter of the marsh grass the grass grew in a narrow swath at this point with a tangle of scrub and trees deeper inland they kept going until the scrub concealed them listening for sounds from the creek there was the beat of a motor it sounded like orville's boat and rick thought it probably was but would orville continue crabbing again the doubt came had the crabber tried to kill them he couldn't believe it the boys stopped and slipped off their fins lead on rick said softly okay when we get to the boat we'll wade across the channel and continue right on through the marsh grass to the bank of the creek we'd better be as quiet as possible i'm with you carrying their swim fins the boys started through the dense growth scotty in the lead it was hard going mosquitoes whined in a steady swarm around their heads but with the neoprene suits and helmets only their faces and hands were exposed each traveled with one hand outstretched to fend off branches the other hand waving the fence to chase the insects from their faces the outstretched hands were wiped frequently across the suits to get rid of the pests rick was careful to step where scotty stepped when it came to silent tracking at night the ex-marine had few peers the two skirted the shore keeping within the tree belt until more marsh grass warned them that the water was near the ground gave way to mud and the mud to water they stepped into the narrow channel up which they had gone to the blind they now were less than two yards from the runabout scotty turned at once and keeping to the water moved upstream rick followed careful not to splash the darkness was less dense than under the trees but he could not make out any details the channel ran roughly parallel to the creek with a strip of land about thirty yards wide between the two when scotty estimated they were even with the cove he left the channel and moved into the marsh grass again rick followed closely careful to make no noise 
in spite of their best efforts there was an occasional sucking sound as his foot or scotty's pulled out of the mud and there was a steady rustle of marsh grass he hoped that the sounds were drowned out by the steady chugging of orville's motor scotty slowed to a cautious pace and rick knew they were approaching the creek bank the marsh grass did not thin appreciably rick wondered if the night watchers could see the tassels of grass waving as they approached and decided that the small motion probably was invisible against the high bank of trees farther inland rick stopped as scotty turned soundlessly scotty lowered himself to the mud then inched ahead moving each strand of marsh grass with care rick followed suit and crawled in scotty's track until he saw the glimmer of water then moving with great caution he drew alongside his pal they looked out into the cove through a thin screen of grass stalks orville harris was crabbing as unconcerned as though nothing had happened as rick stared disbelieving the crabber's net swooped the crab boat moved on exposing a glow on the opposite bank rick sucked in his breath he could make out the forms of two men one was smoking a cigarette both carried rifles End of chapter thirteen